Good morning. Welcome to this pre-recorded service for the 7th of March 2021. And um, as you can see on the screen, we've got a little bit of a different program for you. There's something uh, for Calvary Kids, which is available separately, but included in this broadcast. And there is a series of five Easter questions that might be asked by neighbours or friends, which is also available separately. Uh, so here we are from Calvary Church here in Brighton, an independent Bible teaching Baptist church with a congregation of back in a year ago, 70 or 80 people based here on the south coast of England. My name is Philip Wells. I've worked for the church here for quite a long time uh, and I serve as, uh, as pastor elder. So those are the notices. You've got other things that will be intimated by email. And what we're going to do this morning is up there. The Easter questions are available separately. This is me doing the welcome. And uh, in a moment we'll do a song. And there it is on the screen, what we're going to be doing. Let me start us off with a couple of readings. Uh, one from uh, Zechariah 14. You don't need to look it up. I'll just read it out. It says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzzah, sorry, Uzziah, king of Judah. Quite a remarkable uh, little verse describing mountains moving at the touch of the Lord and making a way of escape. And uh, without going into any further detail, let's just think of that as the Lord who was able to move mountains to get his people out of trouble, to form a way of escape. And uh, we have the same thing in Exodus. In the story of Exodus, when the people were escaping from Egypt and they had Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, and they didn't know which way to turn, but God made a way, in this case not through the mountain, but through the sea. And the psalmist looks back on that and says, The waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 77. And the psalmist took that uh, past historical work of God in redeeming his people to be basic to his own understanding of who God was for him and who God indeed remains. And we need to be trusting that God is able to move mountains to get his people out of trouble and to part the sea to take them through because he's able to do that sort of thing. He leads his people like a flock in those days by the hands of 
Moses and Aaron, but now by a better shepherd, by the hand of Jesus. And uh, surely we can trust him to lead us through, uh, even if it means dividing the mountains or dividing the waters. And just one more thing before we sing a song we've been reading recently in the book of Esther, where God does a mighty redemption for his people, delivering them from certain death. But this time he does it by things that uh, are um, apparently totally irrelevant. He just puts various circumstances together. And in that way, sort of, instead of by the right hand of very visible power, by the left hand of sort of subtlety and working things together behind the scenes, produces uh, no lesser redemption than he did for the people in Egypt. Anyway, those are some thoughts just to to get us going. And uh, we're going to sing the song, When I Was Lost, You Came and Rescued Me, Reached Down Into the Pit and Lifted Me. And what he did in redemption for his people en masse in days gone by, he's done individually and personally for each one of us who have been saved and redeemed by him. When I was lost, you came and rescued me. Oh, I have- 
many other things that you have planned How beautiful the grace that gives to us All that we don't deserve All that we cannot earn But is a gift of love There is a new song in my mouth There is a deep cry reached down into the pit and lifted me. O oh Lord, such love, such grace. Let's pray together. And as we um, conclude our prayer, we'll say the Lord's Prayer, which um, will be up on the screen. Lord our God, we reach out to you in prayer. We lift our heart up to you in prayer. We, as it were, stretch out our hands to you in prayer and ask that our prayers might ascend to the highest place, the place of the throne, the place of sovereign rule, the place of almightiness, the place from which the mountains are moved, the seas are split, and you lead your people, and nothing can thwart your plans. So we look to you, and ask that we might be brought to a place of faith and worship and trust and uh, dependence upon you. We want to look up and honour you, the God of faithfulness, the God of steadfastness, the God of dependability, the God who does not lead his people up blind alleys just to make fun of them, but the God who can be trusted even in the valley of the shadow of death. So, Lord, we look to you. We look to you as individuals in our own lives. We look to you as a church because we have need of your provision and guidance and redemption. We look to you to honour your Son, to honour the promises that you have made that his church will be built, to honour the promises given to him and the task given to him, that he should save his people and none should be lost, but all raised on the last day. O Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us not to lose grip of these promises. Help us not to lose sight of them. Help us not to uh, have our hearts grow cold. 
Help us not to be distracted by issues and problems in this world, but help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the forerunner who has gone before us, and to put all our hope in him. So, Lord, we come uh, confessing our sins to you and asking for forgiveness. You know, Lord, what goes on in our hearts and in our lives, and you know that we are constantly in need of forgiveness, and we want to turn to you in repentance. We base our approach not on how good we've been or that we're good people, but rather we rest our based our approach on what Christ has done in shedding his blood for us and reaching down into the pit and lifting us. And we pray, Lord, simply that you will look upon us and not forget us, not uh, not may our situation not be overlooked by you but will you please be with us and not fail us nor forsake us will you be the one who restores our souls lifts up our heads and leads us in a sense in victory so may we taste something of the joys of the river that makes glad the city of God may we have a sight of something of the glories that await. May we be nerved in our faint endeavour. May we be given fresh courage. May we be able to strengthen weak knees, as it were, and get along to serve you. And we pray that you'll bring glory to yourself in our nation and in our city, and even in this part of our city where we seek to serve you. Bless the churches, bless all the gospel work that goes on, and restore, we pray, and bless and give increase and harvest uh, as you have done in the past. So we bring our prayers to you and ask that you will be glorified. Hear our prayers, we ask. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Okay, we've got a pre-recorded children's slot. Uh, If parents want to see this at a separate point, this is going to be available separately. But now just something for you guys, for you kids. Here we go. Well, hello, everybody, and particularly to the kids uh, from Calvary, Calvary Kids. For the next few Sunday mornings, we're going to do some uh, stuff for Easter, especially for you. And I'm going to be helped by my two uh, buddies here, Covey, who you remember from Christmas. He's really pleased to see you. And uh, Ludwig, Ludwig the Lamb. And he's very pleased to see you as well. And uh, Ludwig seems to be rather strangely equipped today. You've got something on your head, haven't you? Yes, you have. And we'll find out a little bit more about that. So um, we're going to do a little um, thing here with the three of us. And there's an activity for kids to do, as long as mum and dad are agreeable to that. And we're going to have a song. And Anya is going to sing the song, so I'm just going to find the right place to click. And uh, 
this uh, is to do with Sco Covey going skydiving. That's you, isn't it? So, why, why are you skydiving? You've always wanted to be a skydiver. Okay, well, that seems um, a bit of a thing. So, uh, Kobe goes skydiving. He's always wanted to be a skydiver. And you're going to help, are you? Yeah, okay. Why have you got that thing on your head? It's a protective helmet, is it? Okay, well, let's find out why you need a protective helmet. So, we've got a little uh, video of um, Kobe going skydiving. And... Uh, We'll watch the video. Uh, perhaps we could uh, see it again, because that happened rather quickly, didn't it? Um, Are you okay at the end of that? You were, okay. We've got a couple of uh, pictures of the landing because you probably want to know how, how the landing went. We've got a, uh, a picture of him landing on the banisters, I think. That was okay, was it? Yeah, uh, and uh, another rather awkward landing. And then just to show that uh, everything was okay. Yeah. Was it okay? Yeah, okay. Uh, um, a final just that they're everything okay yeah they're quite happy with that so that was what your helmet was for was it shall we take it off because you don't really need to be protected at the moment okay so that's um uh parachuting skydiving and my thought is that it's easy to parachute down isn't it yeah but it's not easy to parachute up no uh, it's actually impossible to parachute upwards. I guess we could play the video backwards, but let's not do that. Um, so it's impossible. It, it's easy to parachute down, but impossible to parachute up. We're going to think about Easter and Jesus's ups and downs, or downs and ups. There's a part of the Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, that maybe you could read at home. And I've just picked out some bits of it. It's about Jesus's ups and downs, or downs and ups. And it starts off, though, though he was in very nature God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on him the form of a servant and became obedient to death. So he's going down. So you can see my hand going down. Even death on a cross. So he went down to death on the cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him. Yes, he did. Ooh. And ex what does exalt mean? Do you know what exalt means? Made him high. That's right. God made Jesus very high and lifted him up so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you happy with that? And you're happy with that. Well, you're a Christian lamb, aren't you? Yeah, okay. So let's just look at that. Jesus came down. And uh, boys and girls, who are you with? Tell them, in what way did Jesus come down? By becoming human and dying on the cross. Maybe that's what you thought. And uh, 
Jesus came down, like you came down, like that, but he also went up. Yeah, he did. That's an impossible thing. He went up. Something supernatural about this. In what way did Jesus go up? Mm -hmm. Just tell the person that you're with, in what way did Jesus go up? Did you get this answer? By God raising him from the dead and taking him to the highest place, the highest place in heaven, the throne, uh, the right hand of God. God raised him to the highest place. He went up. And then another question. When he came down, what did he achieve? Hmm, do you know what he achieved? Okay. But don't tell anybody. Okay, don't tell anybody. So it, there is an answer to that. Ask the person that you're with, if it's your mum and dad or whoever it is, did he achieve anything by coming down? He did. And did he achieve anything by going up? Was there a reason by going up? What difference did that make? Did he go up so that something? And the answer is something to do with knees. So that's something to do with knees. And I want to ask you, boys and girls, has that happened to your knee? Have a look at the Bible and see what happens to knees. So there's Jesus's ups and downs. And you were a skydiver in that, weren't you? Yeah. And you were a protective helmeted helper, weren't you? Yeah, okay. Well, that's our little thought and the activity. Well, making a, uh, making a parachute. If you get permission, please get permission. You need a clean hanky or a cloth, something like that. You need some string to tie the corners to. And then you tie them to a volunteer cuddly animal. So it's got to be a, a cuddly animal that doesn't mind this happening to them. And then you need a safe place to drop. So we used our stairs, but uh, you, uh, you need somewhere safe, so please get permission for this. And if you've had a, a success, it'd be great to send in a video. Maybe we can play it next time. So that's the activity. And the song is from Anya and Lilia and Daniel, and they're going to sing My Lighthouse. Let's say a prayer and then hand over to them. Thank you that Jesus came down for us, for our salvation. Thank you that he went up so that every knee should bow before him. We pray that our knees would bow to him. Thank you for this. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. Do you want to say goodbye? Okay, okay, don't get carried away. Don't get carried away. See you next week and out with the song. Bye-bye.
So it's impossible to parachute upwards. Um, it would be a supernatural thing, but the power of God lifts us up beyond what nature and our own strength can do. And uh, that's the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're now going to have a reading. This is uh, Christopher is uh, kindly once again the uh, the reader, and we're going to read in Hebrews chapter seven, from verse eleven through to chapter eight, verse two. And you notice in chapter eight he says what the whole point is. Thanks, Christopher. Hebrews chapter seven, verse eleven. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood. For on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest, like Melchizedek, appears. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath, when God said to him, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. Amen. We read in Hebrews uh, at another time that uh, we have this as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure an anchor within the sanctuary, within the holy place, an anchor that goes right into heaven and into, as it were, the place of the of the presence of God. And here is a, a song again about hope and trust. Uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. If you're interested in the number, it's 779.
Let's pray as we hear God's word. O Lord, you said that if we meditate on your word, we'll be like trees planted by streams of water, that we will not wither up, that we'll bear fruit in due season. And we pray that this might be the case as we meditate on your word this morning. Help speaker and hearer alike, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we've prayed, and let's come back into Hebrews. This is the question that the writer is addressing all the way through. What will keep us from slipping back or slipping away or slipping off, as I put it there, and uh, slipping off the path, the, the, the dangerous path uh, at the edge? What will keep us on the path? And uh, as I said last time, there is the sort of church discipline, church community aspect, the disapproval of others. What would church people say if they, what they think if, if they knew what I was plotting or planning or where I was heading in my life? And yep, the community were to encourage one another. And then the role of personal disciplines, which of course are extremely valuable. But to think that if I, my own disciplines, you know, I'm strong, I can pray longer, um, pray longer, um, read more, study harder, uh, live better in my own strength. It's a little bit like Peter, isn't it, who was headed for a fall. Uh, to be sure, we strengthen feeble knees and get on and get up, but it's not our own strength, is it? The writer to the Hebrews would say that what we need is to constantly replenish our sense of how great Jesus is and that living contact with him, that living communion with him is the real thing that keeps us going from the inside. Fix your eyes on Jesus, he says, and uh, come to him, uh, the uh, great high priest in heaven, and get help from him. And uh, the the writer wants us to to know how great Jesus is. So that's where we're going uh, along that path again this morning. Just to remind you the path that we've been on. We started off with the divinity of the Son. He's far better than the angels. Then he takes us through the humanity of the Son. That uh, it, it's uh, uh, Abraham's descendants that he helps. Uh, then there's the comparison with the stages of Revelation, the um, Mosaic stage, which was great. Uh, Moses was a good servant in the house, but Jesus is the son who is better. Then he went to this idea of uh, the rest, which is yet to come. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but uh, make every effort to enter that rest. So uh, there is still a rest, he says. It, it, it wasn't, that wasn't achieved when the people entered the promised land. There is still a rest the eternal rest of God, which we are still to be making every effort to get to. It may puts us in the same position as the people crossing the desert, then uh, the place of testing and patience and faith, and that's where we are. And then he moved on to priesthood. He had this in his mind all the time. Let us approach the throne of grace uh, with confidence and to find um, grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, the Son of God, is the great high priest, and that's something that he's been aiming to get to. Priests, of course, connect people to God, and uh, the uh, Hebrews people had got their thoughts fixed on the Old Testament style of priests, the, uh, the ones described and set up in the Law of Moses, but uh, the writer says, look, you don't want to be settling with that now that you've got the opportunity of Jesus, 
who does this far better as per the promise about the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, that seminal promise in Psalm 110. Now, today I want to look at these uh, spiritual truths about the greatness of our salvation. And in chapter 7, verses 11 to 28, I'm going to try and talk about those verses just now. The writer is talking about the Levitical-style priesthood versus the Melchizedek-style priesthood. And, uh, of course, that's entirely relevant to his first readers because they're thinking about going back to Judaism with the Levitical-style priesthood. But I don't think it's just relevant to them, to that specific situation. The themes he's touching on are so universal and so uh, human. Uh, they, they, they address the human condition, not just the, the, uh, the Jewish condition. And he's really striking at some basic spiritual themes, which I'm going to try and tap into. These themes bring us back to Jesus wherever we are, whoever we are, and wherever we're tempted to drift, be it uh, people tempted to drift back to Judaism or people tempted to drift back into secularism or tempted to drift just into nominalism or whatever it may be. Uh, and I think he's picking on some fundamental themes. That's what I'm going to try and bring out. Now, he's using, as I say, the comparison between the Levitical-style priesthood, which I've drawn there up on the left, and the Melchizedek-style priesthood, which I've drawn. Uh, you wouldn't have recognised that. It's not a fried egg he's holding. It's um, uh, He brings out bread and wine. That was the idea of that little drawing. But remember, there's an oath concerning the Melchizedek-style priesthood. He's promised on oath there will be such a priest in the future, and that, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus. And this is a point the writer of Hebrews is keen to make. So let's have that little comparison there uh, up on the screen and in our minds. But looking at the sort of more universal aspects which he's touching on through this method. So first of all, I want to say uh, Jesus is a great saviour and we have a great salvation because of our great need. Now in verse 26 it says such a high priest meets our need. Now in the original the, the word need isn't quite as prominent. It's really saying it's suitable to people like us. Well, what are we like uh, that we should need a priest? What, what, what is suitable to us? So let's think about our need. Uh, do we have need as a people who want to stand before God, as people who live in this world that's made by God? We look up, we have a creator uh, who, who watches down over us. Do we have a need in relation to him? I mean, who is he? He is fair. He is kind, he is just, he is giving and generous, he is faithful and unwavering. And uh, if we're honest, we are the opposite of that in and of ourselves. We're not fair, we're biased. We pick and choose what we complain about so as to suit ourselves. And we're not fundamentally and basically kind people. Uh, there is a deep unkindness in the human nature. And we're not fundamentally and essentially just people. I know we, by God's grace, seek justice in many ways, but uh, deep down that's a flawed sense. Uh, we're disproportionate 
in the things that we find unjust and some hugely unjust things we don't bat an eyelid for and some things that are just a little bit unjust, we make a big, big fuss about them. That's human nature. That's sinful human nature. Uh, And God is giving and generous and we have a deep selfishness which uh, is very difficult to eradicate from within us. And God is faithful and we're people who cheat. That's what we are by nature and uh, that still remains within Christian people although they have new hearts yet sin isn't eradicated so that stuff's still around. And who like that would dare approach God direct? Who would dare approach God and say, I hot some prayers I want you to answer. I've got a life I want you to bless. Bearing in mind we're so unlike him. Who would dare approach God direct? How can we come to him without real shame and guilt? How can we come with confidence and peace? Because that's what it's all about. Well, this is our deep need. And this high priest meets our need. This is the need for a go-between, between people and God, someone to bring us to God. That need is expressed in many places, and that role is expressed in many places, just touching upon a couple of them. There's a famous verse in Job, chapter 9, verse 33, where he says, If only there was a daysman between us to lay his hand upon us both. Now, what's a daysman? Uh, that's the old translation. New International Version says, Somebody to arbitrate between us, you know, an umpire. Um, somebody to see fair play, an arbitrator, somebody to lay his hand on both of us. If only there was such a person, says Job. Well, he's expressing a universal need. Um, Somebody to bring us to God. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, Paul expresses the the fulfilment of that need, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He is the one who is between God and men, and that's what we need, um, our deep need of a mediator. So we deeply need this person, this go-between, this advocate, somebody to speak up for us in the presence of God, a mediator to bring us together, or in the vocabulary of Hebrews, He's going to say this person is a priest. We deeply need this priest. How can we live? How can we function? How can we survive a a single day or actually a single moment without this person? So, number one, um, we have a deep need. Number two, this person who is uh, Jesus the Saviour, His work is perfect. There is a perfection. So chapter 7, verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there a need for another priest to come? Uh, That's what he's aiming for, perfection. And the Levitical priesthood didn't do it. Chapter 7, verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. The law made nothing perfect. Chapter 7, verse 28. The law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son 
who has been made perfect forever. So his work is perfect. There is a perfectness. I just made that word up. A perfectness to it. And what, what, what sort of perfection are we talking about here? Well, in the words of a TV advert, um, it does what it says on the tin. Uh, that's perfection. It does what it says on the tin. And a perfect saviour uh, does what it says on the tin. He saves. Uh, he brings us to God. That's what he manages to do. Um, in verse 25, it says he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. So he, he, he does this. He brings people to God. And, and this is what he does. And so he, he doesn't sort of half do it. Uh, we were on a, a trip to the Eden Project once, and our visit happened to coincide with the visit of Her Majesty the Queen. We hadn't realised this to begin with, because as we drove up to the car park, it said, we welcome you. We're so pleased you're with us, Your Majesty. Uh, this is the day we've been looking forward to. And we thought, well, didn't, we didn't realise we were that special. But then we realised, actually, it was the Queen who was visiting. And we did get to see her, but only from a distance. We saw her about, I don't know, 20, 30 metres away. And uh, oh, we loved her immediately. But it was only at a distance. We never actually got to meet her. And Jesus, that, that was an imperfect meeting, wasn't it? Jesus is a perfect saviour. He really does bring us to God. He doesn't just get us in the mood. I mean, some styles of Christianity are strong on emotion and mood, aren't they? And uh, you feel great. And then when you leave, you think, well, what was all that about? Uh, this is not just a mood thing. He brings us to God. He is a perfect saviour. He does what it says on the tin. He doesn't just pat us on the head and say, God loves you. That's great. Um, now go away. He says, I am bringing you to God. You have access to God through me. I am a perfect saviour. He brings us to the throne of God, which let's believe what he says. This is great, isn't it? Our prayers, for example, really do get to their destination. They're addressed to God and through the perfect work of Jesus, they arrive at the throne. Um, I've heard stories about um, packages that have been addressed to one person and put into the hands of a courier who will, will remain nameless. But uh, there are some letters up there on the screen and uh, they don't get to the right place at all. Uh, they can go to a different country or a different continent. But Jesus is a perfect saviour. And he brings us to God. So, example, for example, our prayers are not um, misdelivered. And our case is heard by the Almighty One. Uh, he does hear us because the work of Jesus as a saviour is perfect. Let's move on. Number three, there is an eternal rock under our mortality. And I'm thinking of chapter 7, verse 16, where it says uh, about Melchizedek, the one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. It's a strong contrast, isn't it? Not to do with genealogy, 
birth certificates, all the paperwork on that, not to do with that, but on the basis of a resurrection and indestructible life. Now, as a church and, and, and a number of us of individual, as, as individuals over the past few months have tasted the bitterness of death. Uh, it, it is a bitter thing. A lot of the time we can ignore it, particularly if we're young, think it'll never happen to us. But actually, uh, to one extent or another, we're all tasting the power of death. Uh, we've tasted bereavement, some of us, more bitterly than others. Uh, we, we've seen the reality of cancer, of the COVID disease. We've heard of people who have died in circumstances and the risks of this life. We've seen people who have died because they've got older. And these things are real. They are part of the human condition. They're unavoidable. And uh, it's a fantasy if we think we can just ignore them and they go away. I mean, even the, the pains and sicknesses that we experience are, in a sense, a little touch of death in this fallen world. But here is a saviour who is untouchable by death. He is untouchable by death because he has the power of um, an indestructible life. He cannot be destroyed. His life is indestructible. Now, he's indestructible. Well, he himself tasted the full experience of death. He tasted death, didn't he? But having tasted it, he defeated it in his resurrection. So, not according to genealogy, but according to the power of life indestructible. That's a phrase worth chewing on, isn't it? Power of an indestructible life. Just looking in the garden or walking in the park, uh, we can see uh, dead leaves and they're sort of falling and brown and withered and uh, yeah, they're dying off. But underneath, we can see some trees with buds, some horse chestnut trees down our, our street and the buds are there. You can see them um, welling up with new life uh, and, and there's something, if you like, indestructible there. The, the buds come back and come back and come back. And here, here we are touched with mortality, but here is something that we're in touch with, if you like, a rock under our feet of immortality. Uh, there's an eternal rock under our feet of immortality, we who are mortal. There's something of, of salvation here which endures beyond this life, beyond this world, into eternity. And because we are saved by someone with the power of an indestructible life. Number four, there is a constant source of help. There is a constant source of help. Chapter 7, verse 24 says, um, Jesus lives forever and has a permanent priesthood. And then goes on to say, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede from them. So he abides forever. Uh, this um, abiding, he remains. He remains forever. And uh, he is, his priesthood, where am I looking? He has a permanent priesthood. 
it's not one that you pass on, that uh, gets passed on. It isn't like that. Um, in my, with my uh, community hat on, um, which I try to get involved with from time to time, over in the level, uh, you may know that there are certain, sometimes issues going on there uh, of various sorts, antisocial behaviour and so on. And there's a new set of PCSOs, uh, community support officers, community support officers, who have been uh, um, appointed. And uh, unfortunately, they don't know the people. They don't know, they haven't been taught who you go to. Uh, they haven't been briefed on the different agencies that are involved. I'm sure they are now, but at one point they were briefed with that. And we had to go through it all over again and had to learn the ropes all over again. But Jesus is not a priesthood where you have to go back to square one and, try and learn it all over again because he is, abides forever. His knowledge of the situation is constant and reliable and deep. And in verse 25 it says, he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to be interceding for them. To intercede is to approach on behalf of another in this sense, that he goes to God on behalf of us. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because we need the Lord day by day, and I would say moment by moment. And he is always alive, he is always living to intercede for us. In other words, the helpline doesn't close down at weekends. You know, we value your call. The switchboard is open at nine o'clock on Monday. Don't bother us at the moment. He is ever living to make intercession for us. Our access is not intermittent, you know, not like on Zoom where you suddenly get somebody frozen and you think, what are they saying? Are they listening? Uh, lost all contact with them. God, our contact with God is not like that, that it comes and goes in blips and fits and starts. And unlike solicitors who, um, in my experience, maybe, maybe I'm not typical... They tend to forget unless you keep pestering them. Um, but Jesus is not like this. He doesn't sort of get diverted onto other things. So he forgets what you've been asking him about. He is always on the case for us. He is ever living to make intercession for us. And brothers and sisters, that is so valuable, isn't it? Let's take that as the Lord, what the Lord says and bank on it. Number five, he has made one effective payment. Now, the human conscience can't help but wrestle with this matter of payment. I don't know whether you've noticed your conscience doing this, but it's part of the human makeup. And the human conscience says, day by day, have I paid my dues? Is God going to accept me? Am I in debt to him? Do I have to keep on working? You know, I do this work, 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 push myself, push myself, push myself, uh, prove myself, prove myself, justify myself, justify myself. There's something quite deep in the human makeup that, that thinks that way. The hymn writer 
put it like this, could my zeal no respite know? In other words, do I just have to keep burning myself out to be right with God and still not sure that I've done that? Could my tears forever flow? You know, no matter how much I express regret, does that pay the payment for sin? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. This is the beauty, isn't it? And the wonder of uh, Protestant understanding of salvation. One ransom payment made a finished work, nothing more to add, no more to do, all done, all done for us on the cross. And this is the point he makes in verse 27. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He, he doesn't have to keep on doing it, and neither do we. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. That once for all it translates just one word, which I would say once and for all, you know, on one occasion. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. There he is on the cross and crying out, whatever it is, tetelestai, it is finished. You could imagine in some um, costume drama, the two male protagonists with a beef against each other saying, right, I'm fed up with this constant going on at one another. This constant getting at one another. Let's settle this once and for all. We will have a duel to the death. And uh, yes, you can imagine them settling this matter. Let's settle this matter once and for all. And they go and have a, a duel. And then, uh, well, they might think, well, that's finished. Well, um, whatever the uh, validity of the illustration, Jesus did say, let's settle this matter of sin once and for all. So there's no going back. There's no uh, contest about this. Uh, there's no um, issues left. I will pay for the sins of my people once and for all. I'm going to put OFA there. And when I've done that, this will be signed in blood. No further payment needed. Or as we say colloquially, paid on the nail. He made one sacrifice. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. One effective payment. All our sins, brothers and sisters, from the past, the ones that wake you up in the middle of the night think, did I do that? Oh, how could I? I'm so cringing with embarrassment and shame. And our sins that we continue to commit day by day, oh, the Lord have mercy on us and all the sins that will be in the future he knows them all nailed to the cross paid on the nail one effective payment this is such a great relief to our conscience isn't it and makes him such a wonderful savior he's a great savior because he made one effective payment and i say how good is that so we were asking about the greatness of salvation and how good a salvation do we have. 
well, how good a salvation do we have? And the points that I made were as follows. Well, we need a great salvation because our need is very real and very deep. Who would dare to approach God without a great priest, without a great saviour? And then I said, uh, following the passage, uh, there is a perfection, a perfectness about the work of Jesus and his priesthood. He does what it says on the tin. He brings us to God. Then I said, uh, following the idea of an indestructible life, there is an eternal rock under the feet of our mortality. Uh, There is something unshakable and enduring forever, uh, enduring even through death about this saviour and this salvation. There is a constant source of help because he lives forever to make intercession for us and he has made one effective payment, paid on the nail, no further payment needed. And here is how good our salvation is and is it the sort of salvation you'd say, well, I I think I can get better elsewhere. You know, we have the best possible We have an unrivaled, matchless, priceless salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's the question. Who on earth would turn away from this? Well, may God help us. Amen. The writer says the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. We have a high priest. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. So we'll go out singing this song and I'll have a closing prayer afterwards. Behold him, let the 
with this familiar prayer from the letter to the Hebrews. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, that's it from me. Um, if you're watching in real time, we've got a, a Zoom type meeting this evening and hope to see you then. But otherwise, it's uh, goodbye from me. Bye bye. <laughs>